Hey friends, if you struggle to find time to read the Bible, or maybe like me, you do devotions in the morning, but then you could use a little more scripture in your day, I want to make sure you know about the Dwell Bible app. What makes Dwell so special is that they read the Bible to you, and you can choose from all different books of the Bible, different plans. They even have Dwell Daily, which is a daily devotional. And what really sets Dwell apart is that they have a variety of voices. You can have read the Bible to you. Over time, I've listened to Rosie the most. She is soft and relaxed and makes you feel like you're sitting by a fireside being read to. I also love Amber's voice. It's comforting and eloquent. So good. And then you can also choose what you want in the background, whether it's music or white noise. I love hearing the piano being played while I listen to the Bible being read to me. Pretty special. Dwell has something for everyone, men, women, and even children. So go over to dwellbible.com forward slash Monica Swanson to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash Monica Swanson for your 25% discount. I know you're going to love it, so check it out. Let me know what you think. Christian Parenting Aloha friends, welcome to the Boy Mom Podcast, powered by Christian Parenting. I am Monica Swanson, mom to four boys, podcast host and author of Boy Mom, What Your Son Needs Most From You. Here on the podcast, it's my goal to bring you practical advice and biblical wisdom for raising boys in this sometimes crazy world. You can always find show notes over at monicaswanson.com forward slash podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, I'm a strong believer that not everyone is called to foster care and adoption. Yet, if we look in God's word, there is a clear call to all of his people to step out for the vulnerable, the orphan, the widow. And so you're, yes, most likely the people who are listening to this, most likely the majority of them aren't going to go get licensed tomorrow, aren't going to adopt a child. But I hope that everyone who hears is compelled that there is a great need in their community and they might not be in the place to welcome a child into their home, but they can be in a place to stand with those who are welcoming, that they can be in a place to enter the stories of these kids in one way or another and show them the love of Christ. Hey friends, how are you doing? I'm so glad you're here with me. I just love hanging out with you every week. And I want to thank you again for just spreading the word about this podcast, for sharing it on social media and telling your friends about it. This community has grown so much and I just love getting to hang out with all of you. So you are just listening to a short clip from today's guest, my new friend, Jamie Finn. Jamie is absolutely the coolest. You're going to love her. I learned so much from her and I loved that I could come into this conversation being very honestly uneducated, um, inexperienced in the whole foster care system. And it's something I've had so many questions about and been so curious and interested in for a long time. And she just made me comfortable asking questions like I knew nothing, which was the case. And so I hope that if you 
have just been curious about foster care. If you know somebody who is a foster parent or a foster family um, and you just want to learn a little bit more, this is for you. If you are already um, fostering children, if this is something you're a part of, I think what Jamie's going to share will encourage you and just build you up in what you're already doing. But this is a conversation I think important for all of us because if we are personally not involved in foster care, I think it's super important that we understand it a little bit more so that we can be a better support and encouragement to those who are because God bless them. It is such a high calling and I'm so inspired. And again, I just loved talking to Jamie. Now, before we dive in, I just want to make sure you do not miss this spring event with Christian Parenting the perfectly imperfect digital event that I am a part of. It happens on April 8th, but once you get a ticket, you have till the end of 2022 to catch all the speakers. So that's the good news. It is such a great deal. Keynote speaker, Bob Goff, uh, Elizabeth Hasselback, Jeannie Cunyon, Heather McFadden, Jonathan Pitts, so many incredible people talking about parenting on purpose. I get to be in there talking about some simple, practical ways to build character in our kids. I just think you're going to love all the topics in this event. So be sure to go over to boymom.perfectlyimperfect.org. Again, boymom.perfectlyimperfect.org. I'm also going to have a link in the show notes, but this is an event you don't want to miss. All right, guys. Well, I can't wait to dive into this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. I'll have a few final words to say at the end, but without further ado, here's Jamie Finn and I talking about what it means to foster the family. Enjoy. Hey, Jamie, welcome to the Boy Mom Podcast. Hi, Monica. Thank you so much for having me. I have been super excited because like I just told you, we have not talked about this topic of fostering um, specifically on the podcast before. So I can't wait. I have so many questions and I think they're probably pretty typical questions from looking at your book. I feel like I represent a whole lot of people out there. And so I can't wait to dive in. Before we do, can you tell us just the whole scoop, where you are, what your family looks like, maybe even a little about your background, what you do? Sure. So my name is Jamie Finn, and I am first and foremost wife to Alan, mom to five kids right now. We like to say that we are parents to four to six kids because that number as foster parents, it changes all the time. But that. right now we have five children, two biological, two adopted from foster care and one foster baby. And most recently, I am the author of Foster the Family book. I have been the author of Foster the Family blog for years, and I'm also the director of Foster the Family, which is an organization that serves foster and adoptive families. So I have lots of things going on, and they all sort of center around this life of foster care. Wow. And take us back maybe before you began this life of foster care, what is your background? And even tell us like where you're from and your husband, give us your story. Sure. So I'm a Jersey girl. I'm in South Jersey right now. My husband and I met here. We met in middle school. So we are not just high school sweethearts. We're middle school sweethearts. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. But my husband <laughs> is not naturally a Jersey guy. He was born in Hong Kong, grew up in the UK. So we definitely had some cultural things with him being a Brit. <laughs> He's an Englishman and um, and we had 
a pretty clear expectation that we would eventually someday adopt. That was something that we had always talked about. But we had two kids, one boy, one girl. I had a job that I loved and we had like a perfectly average life and felt pretty content with that. And we're like, okay, this, this is it until, (laughs) until our lives got rocked just by the knowledge of vulnerable families and children in our community. And yeah, tell us how that kind of came up. Like what was the moment that you were made aware or that your heart started to feel like drawn to that? Sure. Yeah. I read a book by David Platt called Radical. Mm -hmm. And that book for me was like a, a wake up call from this happy little life that we had and just felt like I was set on fire to do something different, to use our lives, our home, our family as basically a home base for mission. I knew that that God wasn't calling us to like move across the world. There was that, that wasn't going to be it for us. And so it was like, okay, what does it look like for us to have sort of our average middle-class life here, but use it in a way that isn't average and middle-class, to use it in a way that it's a home base for really radical missional living. And so we just kind of set on this journey of, all right, how could God be calling us to step into other people's stories and we talked about adoption. We talked about nonprofit work. The, all all this stuff sort of came up. But as soon as I became aware of the needs of kids and families in our community, and it did happen through watching my brother adopt from foster care. That was sort of my in real life picture, yeah. and and God used that to turn our our hearts on. Wow! And your husband was on board from the start. I mean. <laughs> On board, that's a relative (laughs) term. (laughs) Okay. He was not, I mean, I love to hear him talk about it because he will say even now, like, I hate foster care. It is everything that a type A Enneagram one kind of personality would, would hate it. There you have no control of your life. You Uh. don't know what your weekend is going to hold. When you say yes to a child, you don't know what journey you're about to jump on. And so there's no part of him that it's natural for. For me, I'm driven by the need, by the excitement, the passion for it. For him, it is, it is such an act of sacrificial obedience. It is loving sacrificially because he loves God. So Wow, I very I love that. Uh, yeah, and it's good to hear that it's not necessarily a personality driven thing. That even though he is wired that way, he's been able to say yes because of his love for God. Because I know in your book there's a story. Was it at Christmas morning or Christmas Eve that you got a call yeah. at some point? And to hear his response, I was like, "Wow, what a guy!" But I I love yeah. now you know hearing that that's not necessarily his natural bent. Yeah, I think if I read that story, I would think, oh, but that's not Alan. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. that might be someone else's experience with their spouse where they come with a question and there's just a yes. That is Mm -hmm. not my husband naturally. That is my husband in living in conviction Mm -hmm. that this is something that God has called us to and it's worth it. So it is really cool to watch that. 
I love it. Okay, so you have two kids, your brother adopts, you start to this process. Now take us from there. Yeah, so Alan's, you know, half-hearted agreement was one kid, one time. That was mm-hmm. like what he Gotta was start agreeing somewhere. to. And to be Yeah, well, and I love that. I try to share that with people. You know, on one hand, we look at the statistic that about half of foster parents quit within the first year. And that's a heartbreaking statistic to those of us who are in the work of supporting foster families, because that to us looks like, okay, there are families that need support who are not getting it the way that they should. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I think we need to demystify this idea that foster care is this life calling and mm-hmm. you have to hear the voice of God and step out in faith and it's going to take over your whole life forever. And people like me who've been doing it for eight years at this point, we probably don't help that narrative. It just looks like, <laughs> oh, these foster families, they get in and they right. never get out and it's crazy. Right. But I think the idea of is God calling us to serve? Not is God calling us to this mission of foster? You know, do we have the space in our room? Do we have the space in our hearts to open our home to a child and our hearts to their family for a short time? And I think if we can simplify the calling from this like huge thing that you have to feel like you have faith for forever to an opportunity to serve, I think that really helps. So totally. So that was how we went into it. Like, okay, we're going to get one kid. We're going to see how it goes. And a couple months into that one kid, we got a call for another and it was very short term. And I think that helped Alan get his feet wet a little bit to like a little more. It was like, okay, yes, we can say yes to a fourth kid for a week. We can do anything for a week. But it was a slippery slope from there because once we knew we could do four, then when we got a call for a long term, it was another yes. And he said yes to that. And those two girls are our forever adopted daughters. So yeah, that chance that we took on those yeses, that's our family. They're our forever kids now. Oh my goodness. I love that so much. So then you started writing about this on a blog. Is that right? Somewhere along the way? Yes. I was invited by someone at my church to write something for just a church newsletter for our small church. And I wrote just about welcoming a child into our home and the anticipated heartbreak of saying goodbye to that child. And I gave it to him and he said, oh, this is pretty good. You should start a blog. You should put this online. And I did. And hear this new foster parent with not much wisdom or experience to offer. (laughs) I have a post that goes viral and immediately have a platform that I now very openly say I did not deserve. Mm -hmm. I did Mm -hmm. not have the wisdom and experience to Mm -hmm. back it. But what I did have, and this is what I rest in in all of my sharing and teaching, is I had this commitment to just stumble and struggle and learn in front of people. And I was going to just be raw about my feelings and what God was teaching me in the moment that I was going to, as I had to interact with hard things and learn things, I was just going to lay it out for other people. And that's been what I've done for the past eight years or so is just struggle and stumble out loud and write about it as I go. That is the best. That is so cool. And then 
how about the rest of your business? Now you're executive director, is that right? Of Foster the Family. Tell tell us how that all came together. Yeah. So I was starting to, because of the writing, travel around the country to speak at events and share with other people. And I felt a conviction that I was getting to know these foster and adoptive parents around the country and didn't have a community of foster and adoptive parents in my home, that there were not people here who were my community that I was living with and that I was looking to serve. And so the first thing we did was just gather foster parents together for a support group. And that first meeting had like almost 50 people. There were just so many people in my community who were eager and hungry for this community for such a unique experience. And, and these were people already fostering or interested yes. in fo- already yeah, they fostering? Were all oh foster my goodness, there was a need. They were just so hungry for community. And wow. so then we started brainstorming really creative ways to serve this community. So mm-hmm. what Foster the Family does is we like to say that we serve foster families with immediate emergency support and long-term holistic care. So what that looks like is right after a family is welcoming a child into their home, one of our volunteers is showing up two hours later with a home-cooked meal for the family, a bag packed with everything that child needs because so many kids come with nothing. So if it's a baby, it's their exact formula and bottles and diapers and wipes and clothes. If it's a teenager... It's a pair of shoes and a backpack and clothes so they can go to school the next day. Unbelievable. So (laughs) we're bringing you everything they need. And and that's really just the first part of what we do because what we really want to do is envelop that family into a community, a caring community where they can get education and support from each other, mutual support, but also support from our staff and it's really just been what? such a joy. Yeah. Incredible. What a awesome, awesome service. So how long ago did this begin? Somewhere between four and five years ago is where okay. when we began. And we last year launched a branch in the DC area. So we now okay. serve New Jersey, DC, and then just a week ago launched in Baltimore. And oh we also have 15 support groups around the country right now. And that number is going to double in the next couple of months. And we're just on a mission to bring support to foster families. Oh my goodness. Okay. So even just hearing about that support, I feel like could push me over the edge to make me want, you know, like (laughs) if somebody knows that that is available, because I think that takes away so much of the fear and anxiety of like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I feel so alone if I try this, but if somebody knows that's out there Mm. and as they step into this scary place, like, I don't know, I think that could make all the difference. So I love what you're doing on so many levels. That is so cool. Wow. Thanks. Yeah. That's really our heart. And it was born out of my experience as a foster parent. I had people around me who loved me, but did not know how to show up for me and certainly didn't know how to carry me through the hard things that I was experiencing. So I think a support system made of your people is so important, but there's also this support system of people who are like-minded, who are on this mission with you, 
that's yeah. really unique. Because some of your people in your may not have the same calling or the same yeah. heart for this. And so they might love it. you, but they might be really uncomfortable or not know how to serve. Oh, wow. Just genius. Yeah. Okay. So I, as I was preparing to ask you questions, I thought so much about this topic reminds me of the homeschooling topic, because I feel like the questions I'm going to ask are going to sound probably like what so many people who are inexperienced with the foster care world would ask. And I have to imagine some of them are probably, and I have read enough of your book to know, they can be a little annoying or frustrating because you're like, really? <laughs> no, I'm so happy. When it I know you are. I know. Learn and no, I, I appreciate that. I know. But even with homeschooling, it's like when somebody's like, sorry, you know, sorry. what, what about socialization? And I'm socialize? like, yeah, you're like, okay, I'm like, how many on. times can I respond to this without like yeah. getting slightly frustrated? But sure. It, at the risk of of all of that, and I know because you wrote the book and you are just a sweetheart that you're going to be okay with this, but I want to yes. ask some questions that to some people. Um, no, go for know, it. That's, that's the gift gonna, of this. I love, yes. I mean, I feel like God has given this life so that we can live it out loud and hopefully yeah. teach and through our strengths and weaknesses and all that. So right. I am, I'm an open book. You can ask me anything and and you will not offend me. I'm going to, and especially because I know these are in your book. And so if yeah. anyone wants to dive in, man, you share some great stories. There's this, this book is awesome. So oh, I'm going to encourage everyone. I mean, whether or not you feel called or have a heart for fostering, I just think that your story is awesome. So, hmm. uh, okay. My first question is not in your book or that I, that I've come across yet, but is there an age limit for fostering? I know that for adoption, my husband and I hit 50 and we mm -hmm. like started to go, oh my goodness, are we too old to adopt? Like, I don't think most places let people over 50 adopt. Is fostering different in that way? Because don't some older couples even foster children? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have cared for kids who before they came to me were being cared for by, you know, a 75 year old grandmother mm, who okay. only took babies and no, it's sure. definitely different. I think with international adoption, there are those things like, I think your combined age of a hundred or something like that, that's <laughs> their, their line. You're like, Ooh, Scary. 50 plus 50 is a hundred. <laughs> um, but no, with foster care. And I think part of it is that you are not committing to a child forever with yeah. foster care. Mm -hmm. And so they have to have backup plans. Like, okay, you're saying yes to a 12 year old kid and you're this age. What does this look like? But with foster care, you are jumping into a child and family story for a short amount of time. And yes, sometimes it's two days and sometimes it's two years. But, and honestly, there's also such a great need that it's a little bit of like a beggars can't be choosers and they, yes. they yes. are just willing to license anyone who they feel like is going to be safe and nurturing for a child. Awesome. Okay. That's super cool. Okay. So the process of becoming a foster parent, again, kind of like homeschooling, I think a lot of us think of it and we're like, oh, there would just be years of paperwork. You know, you hear about sure. adoption. Is it going to be complicated in a nutshell? Yeah. What's, what's an approximate, and maybe this is state by state, I don't know, but what does the general picture look like for someone that's like, okay, I want to do this? Yeah. So it is very much so state by state, but the general rule is go to Google, <laughs> type in your state and county because there's no national way to do this. Okay. Go to your, and type in your state and your, your county 
and foster care. And you will learn if you need to be licensed through your county directly or through an agency. Everyone's experience will be different, but a few things will be the same about everyone's experience. One thing is they are going to look forwards and backwards through your life and your home to make sure that you are safe and nurturing. So for us in New Jersey, this looked like everything from asking about our financial situation Mm -hmm. to our mental health, our sex life. It looked like going through every cabinet and checking where we keep our medicine and asking our neighbors about us. Okay, now you're intimidating a few people. (laughs) Well, but here's the thing. It is so important, first of all, that these kids are not taken out of the boiling pot and into the fire. And so they, we have heard the horror stories of children being abused or neglected in foster care. So I am 100% behind anything that will help ensure that a a family is safe and nurturing. Yes, yes. The other thing is, It is an intimidating process. It can be a hard process, and yet it's the easiest part of this whole thing. And so I think there's a little bit of this this that is like a vetting process for even us. As we Mm -hmm. jump into it, we go, you know what? This is hard having workers in our home, and this is hard staying on top of this paperwork and all that. Mm. And I think it's important that we're very aware of how hard it is. Because we need to be so convinced about why yeah. it's worth it. Yes. And we need to be convinced from day one because the hard starts day one. But it is all throughout. And so when we have a strong conviction that these kids being protected and loved is worth it, that mm-hmm. families coming together and being healed and made whole is worth mm-hmm. it, then things like the inconvenience of having to move alcohol into the garage or whatever the, the <laughs> things are that they're asking sure. you to do that you want to roll your eyes at. Yeah. It's like, you know what? These kids are worth it and I'm going to take these steps. Yes. So I do think it's important to be prepared for a fairly invasive process. Okay. It is okay. about six months and there is practical work that needs to be done in your house and okay. visiting yeah. doctors and yeah, it's not and a it gets you ready. choice. Right. Right. Yes. Right. But it Which gets is... you ready for the heart of the rest of it. <laughs> okay. Now let's get to that. So okay. you get the call. You get the call. Sometimes you have to be ready immediately, right? Yeah. It's like a come now. Wow. Yeah. And what's it like? Like you, yeah. you <laughs> I mean, so, really, I have no idea. Removals, we say in New Jersey that all removals are emergency removals. Mm. So it, they, you might have a little bit of time if a child is being transitioned from another home into your home. If a child is in the hospital and you welcome them, there might be some transition time, but more likely you have a kiddo in your home within a couple of hours. And, From and where the, do you meet them? Where do you go pick them up? They come to your home. The worker brings they the bring child them. to your home. Okay. Okay. That's been, again, my experience is specific to New Jersey in, I would say 75% of states, most of what I'm saying is the case. There's going to be the rare exception, but- you run around and get yourself ready as much as you can. And that's part of why I started Foster the Family because that running around of sure. when a kiddo comes to your home, you know you're saying yes to a three-year-old girl. That three-year-old girl might show up and be a three-year-old boy. That uh, 
baby that they told you over and over was African-American might show up and not be. There are there are things they do their okay, best. So, but- so do you need to have things on hand for boy, girl of any age? Or I know that your service helps with that. But yeah. in general, would someone who's open to fostering need to kind of have a stash? Or do you just go out and go shopping later? Like, what's that look like? Yeah. So it helps that we already had biological children. So we already had our bins in the basement of clothes and toys and all of that. But they do encourage you to be prepared for whatever you think you're willing to say yes to. So if you are open to babies, then you should probably have a crib and a stroller and a a car seat. If you're open to teenagers, then you want to maybe have a couple pairs of pajamas on hand. Mm -hmm. I think the deeper you get into this, like I always have pajamas of all sizes. (laughs) I always have like extra little things aside, but this is where hopefully your community, if you empower them beforehand of Mm -hmm. like, listen, we are going to be jumping into this craziness where we have two Mm -hmm. hours and a kiddo shows up. Can you be my target friend? Can you be the person who goes and gets a pair of pajamas and leggings and a shirt for the next day so that I can just focus on welcoming this kid. Okay. That is awesome. And And people probably love that because even if this isn't their thing, they're like, oh, good. She gave me something I can do practically. Even asking for a meal. Say, hey, if we get the call, can you, you know, grab a Costco meal and bring it over? Like just knowing that there's people that you can call on and kind of assigning them that role. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a strong believer that Not everyone is called to foster care and adoption, yet if we look in God's word, there is a clear call to all of his people to step out for the vulnerable, the orphan, the widow. And so your yes, most likely the people who are listening to this, most likely the majority of them aren't going to go get licensed tomorrow, aren't going to adopt a child. But I hope that everyone who hears is compelled that there is a great need in their community and they might not be in the place to welcome a child into their home, but they can be in a place to stand with those who are welcoming, Mm -hmm. that they can be in a place to enter the stories of these kids in one way or another and show them the love of Christ. That's, that's awesome. Okay. So one more question that I know comes up a lot and it's a tough one. And that is the situation where you bring a child into your home and you bond with them and now you have to hand them back, especially if you're handing them back to a situation that though I'm sure that they do their due diligence to make sure everything's as good as it can be, you and your heart might not feel very good about it. How in the world do you walk through that? What's it like? Yeah. So we have welcomed 27 children into our home and only two have stayed forever, which means we've had a lot of experience of falling in love with kids that we then say goodbye to. And like I said before, there needs to be a strong foundational belief that what you're doing is important. And that's in two senses. One is that when we're loving on kids, we are writing into their stories and their hearts and brains that they are loved, that God loves them, that they can have a hope and a future. So even just our actions of loving kids is huge. Then when you get into the understanding of attachment and psychology and the brain, we understand that every healthy relationship that a child has with an adult who can provide healthy nurturing, 
actually shapes the way they view relationships for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. That one of the great gifts we can give to our kids in our home is attachment, is this love and safety in the context of relationship. So first of all, the way we love our kids is just worth it. Every Mm -hmm. moment that we're able to love them and care for them is worth it. But on top of that, and this was a shift for me, it was not how I came into foster care, but foster care is really not just about the kids. It is about the whole family. Foster care is not just about providing a safe home to kids when they need it. It is about stepping into a family story and playing a part in God healing that family. So I think that really believing from day one that that is the point of this whole thing is a game changer. If we are being judgmental and arrogant and looking down on parents, if we are not having compassion and empathy Mm -hmm. on the things they've been through, many of them were foster children themselves. Many of them have experienced the same trauma and abuse Mm -hmm. and neglect that the kids we're calling precious experienced also. So if we are lacking all of that for their parents, then it's going to be really hard for us to be in a system where the goal is reunification, to be in a mission that is about families being made whole again. Mm -hmm. And so part of what protects you in the heartbreak is that believing that the heartbreak is the whole point, Mm -hmm. that the whole point is that a kiddo is going home to be with their family because a family has been healed. That is a success story. Mm, So it doesn't take away from the pain and the emotions, but it helps interpret the pain and the emotions. It helps us see it as it really is, that it's something both to grieve and celebrate. This time last year, we said goodbye to our foster daughter after two and a half years. Mm. And that was just a devastating heartbreak. Mm. And there were the experiences that you were just talking about of feeling like, oh, we would be a better fit here. Yeah, sure, There's, sure. You know, there is. And how old was she? She was two and a half. So she had spent oh. her whole life with us. Wow. Okay. So, so are you allowed then? to follow up and stay in touch or is there a legal like do you have to let them go and just what what's that process yeah. so hopefully you've been building with biological family the whole time okay. and that really colors the experience behind reunification so more often you are staying in contact and staying involved in the child's life if you stayed in contact and involved the parents in the child's life when they were in your home Our experience with our foster daughter is particularly painful and confusing because we had a very close relationship with mom. She, you know, Christmas in our home and her heart towards us was, I need a family. Will you be my family? But the reality is that when some parents have foster care out of their life now, they want every part of it gone. And so it doesn't matter that there's a caring and supportive person standing there. They are just like, I want this part of my life to be done forever. And so we get periodic texts and pictures, but we have not had any contact with her for the past year. Wow. Okay. That's, that's gotta be hard. Um, Okay. I, 
I could just keep asking you question after question, but I do want to touch on your own family. Mm. Um, for those listening who have, you know, biological children, even adopted children in the home, can you tell us how it's different or how you parent different to the foster children as opposed to your own children? Mm. Is there, are there kind of lines you have to be careful not to cross? Like what's the parenting picture look like? Yeah. So when I first became a foster parent, I very much believed you just like love on kids and you teach them good things and then it all kind of falls into place. That was what worked with my first biological kiddo was like, here's our parenting methods and these like very traditional Christian parenting methods of, you know, first time obedience and all obedience comes with respect and all that. And then you have kiddos who come into your home who have never had structure, who have experienced their caregivers as abusive, so not safe. So the trust that you have with your biological children, as you're telling them what to do, these kids have learned that you don't trust your parents because they don't have your good at heart and terrible. So there is absolutely a throwing out the playbook of, Mm -hmm. okay, what does it look like to parent kids who have experienced trauma and how has what they've experienced shaped their beliefs, Mm -hmm. their brains, their bodies. And there's been a, a journey for me of learning that and, sort of changing my methods to the way that I'm I'm parenting and you know you you asked about biological children and the reality is that we are taking them on this mission with us right. which is at once part of the beauty i mean this is one of those like radical missions that we can be on that we do as a family we do it in the safety of our home we do it in the protection of mom and dad but it's also teaching them the great sacrifice of loving others and living for God's glory. And Mm -hmm. it's teaching them that the world doesn't revolve around them, that people who live in our town have very different lives than their charmed and safe lives. And And have you ever felt like this takes away from your ability to parent your own children well? Do you feel like torn, the, you know, mom guilt that absolutely no matter what? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. We have to believe that it's, that they're a part of the mission and that's part of the good part. And we have to acknowledge the sacrifice that's involved for them and then entrust them to God because the same way we're entrusting our own hearts to God, like, okay, I'm going to be heartbreaking here. This is going to be hard, but I trust you. I trust that everything that my kids experience is something that God is using to do in them to make them who he has them to be. Absolutely. How, How old are your biological children now? My bio kids right now are 13 and 10. My adopted kids are eight and seven. And then I have a foster baby right now who's 18 months old. Okay. Have your, now that they're a little bit older, how would they talk about fostering at this point? Have they gone through a stage where they're like, I would never do that. I'm mad at you that you've done this. Or has it been all positive? It's been all positive in the way they articulate their love for the kids and the families. It doesn't mean it's been all positive in the way it's affected them. So I'm grateful that my kids have never said that they resent it. I'm grateful they've never asked us to stop, anything like that. 
But I certainly see um, with one of my kiddos who struggles with anxiety that I think our the instability in our life has made that struggle harder. I see with my kids that some of the really extreme trauma behaviors that are in our home every day, that of course that's had a negative effect on them. There are times they're hearing a sibling scream for two hours. That affects anyone's blood pressure, let alone. So, So I think they love being foster siblings. They love the kids. They love being on the mission and it's been hard for them. Maybe in ways that they can't even yet articulate. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think you've clearly done a great job of navigating the whole thing to have them at a place where they can be both at once, you know, Mm -hmm. loving it and walking through the challenges as well. Part of a team. Family Mm -hmm. is a team. And um, wow. Well, this is also great. Thank you. I, I just love that you know, you're taking something so special that you're doing, but also supporting other people who are Mm -hmm. willing to take that first step. And again, kind of like homeschooling, you know, it's, it's taking that first step. Maybe it's going to work, maybe it's not, but at the same time, um, not, not, not doing it because you know, you're walking in through the fear and knowing that God is with you in this and that this is his heart, right? This Mm. is, we've all been adopted into God's family as believers and what higher calling could there be? I I can't think of anything that is more the heart of our Lord than to Mm. welcome these children into your home. Well, where can people find and follow you? Uh, we're going to be linking to your book in the show notes, of course, but just tell everyone where they can follow you and even get your book right away. Yes. So I share my life online on Facebook and Instagram at Foster the Family blog. My nonprofit is fosterthefamily.org. I have a podcast, The Real Mom Podcast. And then the book is Foster the Family. You can find it anywhere or at fosterthefamilybook.com. And you're not busy at all, are you? Yeah. (laughs) It's a little crazy. (laughs) That is a lot. That is a lot. Well, Jamie, what a pleasure and honor to talk to you. Truly, thank you for your time and thank you for this beautiful book. I just am so happy that I've met you and hope that everyone can go out and get your book. And, Mm. you know, we'll pray that maybe a few people listening will Mm. feel the nudge to consider to consider trying yeah, and themselves. consider is it right? Even yeah. just what does it look like? So, thank you yeah. for having me, Monica. It was sweet just to talk foster care and faith with you mm. a little bit today. You bet. Well, I hope to stay in touch with you. God bless and thanks so much. All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed getting to know Jamie as much as I did. I just adore her. I feel like I have a new friend. Um, And I hope that this topic was an encouragement to you. If you are a foster family, then God bless you. I learned so much, and I'm so grateful for how you're allowing God to use you in the lives of children. If you are not at all involved in foster care, then maybe this conversation nudged your heart a little bit, and you want to explore the possibilities that are out there. If so, definitely go over to my show notes at monicaswanson.com forward slash podcast. And this of course is episode 150. Um, and you can reach out to Jamie, use some of the links that she shares to explore fostering for yourself. And then um, if nothing else, 
we are all now more aware of what goes on in foster families. I hope that you will look for ways to be supportive and encouraging to others out there who are doing this beautiful hard work. So what an important topic. So thankful that we got to talk to Jamie today and um, just appreciate you being a part of this community. Definitely go over and get your tickets to the all-digital Christian parenting event this spring. You're going to get so much encouragement in your parenting, and you can get your tickets at boymom.perfectlyimperfect.org. Again, boymom.perfectlyimperfect.org. So excited about this event. And remember, you'll have to the end of the year to catch all the speakers. So it's definitely worth a small investment. Okay, guys, thank you for being here. Have a wonderful rest of your week. And until next time, aloha. Aloha.